The following production is part of the We Be Geeks podcast collective. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Pop Insider. The Pop Insider has all the latest in news, merch reviews, and other geeky goodness. Whether you're a wizard, a Sith Lord, or a superhero, fuel your fandom at thepopinsider.com. Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. Produced with podcasting gear from Tascam. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. Crisis for the geek kind. Top geek officials admit they underestimated the hipster's defense capability. Geeks from all over the globe are joining up to fight for the future. They're doing their part. Are you? Join Weeby Geeks and the Geek Revolution and save the world. Service guarantees citizenship. Want to know more? Do not attempt to adjust your device. This is Extreme Freedom Audio Bulletin. It cannot be traced. It cannot be stopped. And it is the only free voice left in the Geek Revolution. And welcome to a special edition of Weeby Geeks. It is not our normal record night, which is unique and different. So bonus episode this week. Um, we have, a, of course, it is the Dashing Duo, Derek and myself, Mike. And we are being joined by um, Filmmaker, best way to put it. Uh, yeah, Filmmaker, Producer. Uh, yeah, in general, I guess you could say Filmmaker. A lot of different disciplines. <laughs> and, and then this particular case restoration expert so to speak of more like more like the mater d there are other experts involved i'm ah. just showing them the way <laughs> um and of course that voice you're hearing is david bigelow he is involved in taking a boat that is similar to the orca and jaws and restoring it to the orca and you're going to call it the orca two the orca three rather. Orca three okay ah and t- uh, before we go any further, tell us a little bit about this project, because I know we're going to have more questions involved. This is fascinating what you're doing with it. Uh, you know, thanks for having me on. It's been uh, it's, it's been a real whirlwind uh, this whole summer, especially coming off of the, the pandemic. Um, so the project is basically called Return of the Orca. And what my group and I are doing is we are taking a lobster boat, a uh, just similar lobster boat to the way that the style of the Warlock was the boat that was turned into the Orca in 1974 for Jaws. This boat is a similar style boat, and it is going to become the Orca 3. Uh, the reason it's the Orca 3 is because the first orca is the one you see in the film with the cast, you know, going out and battling the shark on it. Right. The second orca, there was a uh, a dummy orca made that basically didn't sail, but they needed to sink one for the final climax sequence with Chief Brody fighting the shark off and shooting it with that last round as the boat sinking. So that was a submersible orca made out of fiberglass in the exact same dimensions as the orca. So both of those boats basically have been lost to time and they're destroyed now and no longer on this planet and so we're bringing back the orca as the orca three okay now i would love to hear you talk about uh some of the projects once the orca three is on the water uh what some of the plans are with it because this is what i find fascinating uh not only restoring it to the or 
refurbishing it to the Orca 3, uh, the boat you're working on, but your your plans with it uh, after it's, it's seaworthy. Yeah, we're really excited about the things we're going to be doing with this vessel. The The original plan was basically to get this boat turned into the Orca 3, and we were going to use it for our, our uh, project that we have. Um, the, the impetus for this was a creation of a television series called Making the Monster, which is basically a docudrama about the making of Jaws. And the way you basically describe that is, imagine Apollo 13, but instead of it being about the uh, you know the lunar mission that went awry with Tom Hanks and uh, Kevin Bacon, it's the movie that went awry with people portraying the uh, you know the roles of Joe Alves and Cal Accord and other people who worked on the crew of Jaws, and that's a six episode docudrama series that we're basically in development on. The COVID crisis basically stopped production and stopped development of that television series. And we had this boat. We purchased this boat because we knew we were going to need an orca to shoot at least half of the episodes in the series. You know, the back half of Jaws is basically all out on the boat. That's, you know, the last hour is pretty much on the boat. So we had this boat and we said, what do we do with this boat? We've got this boat. We're not going to be shooting anything anytime soon, especially because of the virus. And so we came up with this idea and take the boat, restore it, but let's give it a positive mission. Instead of being ready for a television series, let's take it and actually use it for something that we actually need right now in the the Massachusetts Martha's Vineyard area. We have a a large population of sharks here now, and our beaches are being cleared every day. And, um, and, uh, and, And I was just down on Martha's Vineyard recently because I'm down there all the time to, to babysit the boat and get things ready for the project. And I went to the beach and I saw seven seals in 40 minutes. And anywhere there are seals in the water, you need to assume there are probably great whites looking for them nearby. Um, and nobody's been attacked off of Martha's Vineyard so far, luckily. But there's nothing stopping that from happening for the first time. We did have a fatality two summers ago off Wellfleet on Cape Cod. And the young man was boogie boarding and was struck in the leg and bled out on the beach. So it's really something that we feel if we've got this boat, we can make it a central focus point for education because there is no changing the fact that there are sharks now all in the area. There's no changing all the seals that there are hundreds of thousands thousands of seals that are lounging on the on the sandbars in the area attracting the sharks and basically they are with us for the entire summer like all the people who want to go to the beach off Martha's Vineyard in Cape Cod so we all want the same water at the same time the boat is really going to be a central point for people to be able to learn about and you know through a, a variety of programs whether there's researchers using the orca to learn about the marine environment survey the area around Martha's Vineyard which is something we're going to do with Greg Skomel Greg Skomel's the kind of Matt Hooper of Cape Cod oh, that's cool. uh, he he works for the state and uh, he definitely believes that there are more great whites in around Martha's Vineyard than a lot of people realize or would think to, to look at because they're so focused on Cape Cod, where there are many, many sharks around Chatham and Wellfleet, uh, those towns in which it's really the media has covered the stories and Shark Week has completely picked up all of that. The, the nature of Martha's Vineyard's issue is that it's next to two islands, and those two islands are uh, Noman's Land or Noman's Island, 
which used to be a bomb testing facility or a, a bomb testing island that would drop bombs on right. you. Now it's a sealed preserve or a place where seals basically enjoy bathing themselves and uh, sharks hunt for them on the, you know, in the area of the shallow water around that island. So east of that and you head over towards Nantucket Island just off of Chappaquiddick from Martha's Vineyard and you run into uh, Muskegon Island. And Muskegon Island is the largest seal birthing location in the United States. So they're basically, you know, the maternity ward of the entire country of seals is pretty much right there off the east side of Martha's Vineyard. The, the, the fact that there are sharks in the area should not be a surprise to anybody when there's that much attraction to seals. So mm. we want this boat to be part of educating and learning more about that situation in particular for the vineyard. And then we watch, you know, I'm from Martha's Vineyard. And, and I can tell you the story about growing up there and actually being an extra in Jaws, because that's kind of where this story starts. Uh, I, um, you know, I have a deep personal connection to the island. I was there when I was four years old, and I've been going back ever since. So it's been a 46-year relationship for me. My connection to the island is really strong, and I don't live there full-time anymore. I'm now a Bostonian, and I have been for a very long time. But the ferry is an only an hour and 15-minute ride for me. And then I'm over there. I leave here in the morning, and I'm there by lunch, you know, enjoying my lunch in Oak Bluffs on Martha's Vineyard. Um, I really want to be able to give back to the children of Martha's Vineyard because that was a place that I had an idyllic childhood. Uh, and uh, I want to be able to give free trips to kids uh, who want to learn about sharks. And oh, that's cool. I want them to feel safe and feel a certain mm. amount of empowerment of not being afraid of the water. Um, one of the things that I think that happened with Jaws, while it was a fantastic movie, is it scared a lot of people and it demonized sharks. And shark killing really right. began in large numbers because of Jaws. So we don't want to be part of that same storytelling. We want the orca to evolve. We want it to mean something new now. And in the modern era, a balance of harmony with the marine world of sharks and mankind, we're so close to each other now. And we're really in the mix together. The only thing we can do is learn about each other. I mean, sharks right. aren't going to learn about us except to say, you know, when we mistake you for a seal, we're going to bite you. But uh, mankind can certainly do a pretty good job about learning enough about the marine environment to be safe and also not feel the, the impulse to start killing sharks again. So, so almost like the virus, be cautious, be concerned, but also to just don't let it dominate your life and, you know, you could coexist in many ways. Yeah, there's 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 a lot of rules. I you know I mean going in the ocean inherently there will be some risk. Obviously, um, there's more risk than there used to be. I would I would swim off the south coast of Martha's Vineyard as a kid. I would be in that water for six to eight hours a day during the summer. It was my playground. Uh, you know, now it's something where parents are being very careful about letting their kids in when they see a seal anywhere nearby. They, those kids are coming out. But there are things that you can do to learn about where to swim, when to swim. For example, you don't want to be in the water during dusk or dawn. Dusk or dawn, when the when the sunlight is changing, is a principal time of, of predatory behavior. Um, it's actually, I was in the military, and what we have called stand to. Stand to is anytime you're at dusk or on because your eyesight is at its weakest during the changing of light and sharks are basically they, they evolve to know instinctively that that's a time to hunt so um, it's something that we just more education about things like that uh, knowing what to wear knowing what sort of you know if you're going to wear a black 
uh, swimsuit or a black, uh, you know, uh, skin diving suit and go in the water and surf. I mean, the surfers are attacked not because they're surfers. They're, they're attacked because they look like a seal. They have this wide body and they have these arms out and they're kicking with their legs or something. And the profile, that the silhouette against the sun looks very similar to a shark as that of a target seal. So there's just things that we need to learn more about them. And I think we can learn to make it a palatable situation. It'll never be one where we just feel free to do whatever we want, though. Right. And that's the thing so, we all have to learn. So is the implication, I know I'm not, I'm not saying you're implying, um, but with all the studies, is, is the implication there that sharks can see color or are they like oh. other animals and they, they just see monochrome? I, I, I don't, frankly, I need to be educated about that myself. I don't know <laughs> if they see color or not. Um, I do know that you know, most animals re respond to contrast, you know, bright light, you know, silhouette shapes and things like that. Um, and so uh, that certainly is one of the things. And particularly, you know, in the marine world, um, you know, having been a, a scuba diver, the far the deeper you go, the, the less saturated colors are. So at a certain point, when you're at a certain depth, you can't even tell what the color is because the light isn't creating enough exposure on it to get right. that color out. Um, so that certainly could be the case, but I would never claim to know what the whether yeah. sharks are colorblind or not. Well, that, that, that's, that's why I say I'm not saying, you know, not trying to put words in your mouth. And sure. I was just wondering if, if I um, heard enough story studies or whatnot is going to say at this point in time, why not change the color of wetsuits to to brighter colors? for the safety aspect. Uh, th that certainly could be the case uh, if, if that were the situation. I know I've seen, you know, there's footage of divers in all sorts of different colors being attacked because of different situation, feeding frenzies, for example. Right. Um, again, these are such rare instances. Um, I think that, you know, really, we don't have a lot of it. We don't have many attacks off the island. We had that one fatality. Um, I think in some ways, uh, you know, we have a lot of... Uh, Fewer reasons to worry uh, and and to ha to engage in any kind of fearful you know ideas. The only thing is we need to respect the fact that there are times when we're much more vulnerable than others, and we also want to not want to create a situation in which people feel the need to go and start killing sharks because it attacks somebody in a situation right. that the, the shark is just doing what a shark does. You know, it's like we don't decimate the grizzly bear population right. or the tiger population because we feel they're aggressors against humanity. We we know when we walk into their area and something bad happens it's just a hungry animal going for what it wants to eat you know that's it's just it's predatory right. behavior so. now i just did a quick uh a quick look up here and it looks like um the latest reach research is saying that sharks are colorblind okay i guess we have our answer right there there we go going to oh my research God, from the internet university internet of queensland <laughs> yes and i did <laughs> um <laughs> So that that and the other the other two things I wanted to say was um, one I'm from Central Massachusetts so everything that you've been talking about I'm very familiar with and two uh, sharks happen to be one of my uh, all time favorite animals so I'm also very interested in in any chance I get to learn about sharks so uh, this is so within, this is all very interesting to so me so within a year year and a half Derek. You could get on the orca and go out and take a trip. Cool. I'm and maybe see that. a shark. We, we, we have no idea. It's um, 
Yeah, I think that the boat, uh, the Orca 3, is going to be a pretty unique experience for anybody who rides it. And I think, you know, there's going to be three purposes. The research, the kids being able to go out and learn about sharks. And then finally, the obvious, which is I'm getting enough requests for, is like, hey, when can me and my kids come over and basically take a ride on the Orca, you know, and see all the movie locations or experience what it's like to be on the Orca in the ocean around Martha's Vineyard, you know, headed through Benemsha Harbor like when Shaq was um you know and i think that people are you know there's a certain there's a lot of well you know we you know what we're talking about for two-thirds of our mission for the boat is basically non-profit so we need something to keep the boat in the water and a uh, tour vessel uh would be a really good uh opportunity to make it a self-sustaining commercial operation and still have the ability to do things like take these kids out let these researchers spend some time doing their work and uh, because they're not going to need it every day i think they'll need it you know once in a while and they'll do expeditions that are based on a study that they're going to sort of plan out and schedule um but uh you know and we'll take the kids out for a trip or two on the days but you know we have long summer days as you know in massachusetts on the coast you know get till 8 39 o'clock the sun's going down we have plenty of hours right. of the day of sunlight to be able to enjoy going out on the ocean and just you know burning up some diesel fuel to enjoy you know being out on the orca three around martha's vineyard mm-hmm. and, and on that while around dinner time you can have a little shark kebab you might just, yeah, we'll see. Um, I, I think I actually we'll, like it, shark meat. I've never tried it myself. I, I can't say it me either. That. I, I, we've we've had a couple restaurants down here that had served it, and it was, they were uh, the one was more Hawaiian based, and they they did the shark kebabs. It's actually pretty decent. It, it's it's almost like when you get like a tuna steak or a swordfish, sure. kind of that type of texture and similar taste. Right. Um, or a mahi-mahi or something. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, when when you guys are, or when you're talking about, you know, all the sharks up there, of course, I live in Florida. Um, and, of course, we get a lot of shark attacks, or sh- I won't say shark attacks. We get a lot of shark bites here off our eastern coast, uh, on, mm. on the Atlantic coast. Um, so, I mean, it's... We don't have the, the seal population that draws them, but they still come through because, you know, we got the warmer waters down here that attracts right. them as well. Um, so I want to say a couple of years ago, we had something like 30 or 40 shark bites alone. In um, really shallow water, too. I tend yeah. to see that video footage of yep. people just, you know, being into maybe up to their waist or towards their shoulders, but they're not in deep water. No. Mm. So you, you mentioned Shark Week. Has um, has this garnered the the attention of Discovery Channel at all? Or, or the people behind Shark Week, have they contacted you about any of this? Um, there are things occurring, which I can't really talk about, that may uh, indicate something like that could be happening at some point in the next couple of months. <laughs> um, but... Uh, yeah, we certainly are, you know, we're in the world of their, their subject matter and the, uh, you know, I mean, right now on discovery channel, I think for shark week, the main attraction is Mike Tyson fights a great white. Uh, I think I saw a promo mm -hmm. for that. Um, so we're trying to be a little bit more serious about things and I'm not knocking discovery channel Mm -hmm. programming. I think they're, they're entertaining. Um, and you know, I think we have, we could balance out their programming with a show about something really positive. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons that 
people are interested in hearing about this story right now. The coincidental timing of the fact that the virus has come through and there's been so much negative news. And this is a very positive story. And it has some hope to it that we can, you know, one more problem in the world, you know, sharks off the coast of Massachusetts and uh, new awareness of the fact that you go in the water, you're not necessarily going to be as or perceive it as safe as you were. Uh, we want to be able to mm-hmm. make that fear not as bad and, and, and give people a reason to feel empowered. So, um, yeah, I would love to be on Shark Week, frankly. I think the boat really would be uh, a huge, uh, you know, interest. Uh, I think uh, the, the country, for everybody who can't make it to Martha's Vineyard to be able to take a ride or, or even get on the dock right. and see the boat up close, would love to see in high definition or 4K, you know, uh, a mm-hmm. gorgeous shot of the orca on the water. And, uh, you know, I dream about doing things like getting the actors, the surviving actors from the film to come out during the early voyages and be able to ride the orca again we'll we'll see if richard dreyfus is interested in being hooper one more time oh. and riding on that flying bridge <laughs> I, I, that would be awesome yeah i, w- I would lo- love to have richard dreyfus on this show too that would be so cool to talk about now especially since you know, we, we i don't think we've touched on it uh because we have had joe on the show joe alves on the show uh we got carl coming at the end of carl gottlieb coming at the end of uh september but this is the 45th anniversary of Jaws. I mean, 45 years ago, Jaws was the film in the theaters, essentially the first blockbuster, summer blockbuster. And it doesn't, every summer, Jaws becomes part of the consciousness again, especially when we have sharks more prevalent against our coast. Uh, I don't think we even needed to have sharks showing up in larger numbers for Jaws to still be a powerful summer experience for people. And there are people, right. I, I definitely, I think the film is really well made. I enjoy it. Uh, I've seen it more times than I probably really need to at this point. Um, and in many ways, so, I watched so it now been, to study the orca. Um, I was going to say, you've been watching it on AMC, haven't you? Well, I, I have the 4K disc. <laughs> well, I was going to say, <laughs> I have the ah. Back, back like February or March, it was on like five, six times a week. Yeah, like, and it okay. makes us run through Netflix. It's there all the time. Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> that's my only problem with AMC is they get like a small group of films that they overplay during the month. I'm like, this is such a great film, but you're killing it. <laughs> Well, it might have to do with the fact Greg Nicotero, who's the executive producer of The Walking Dead, is one of the biggest Jaws fans in Hollywood. So wow. maybe they're just doing it to keep Greg happy. Could be, too. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> could be, too. Um, could be. But no. So you you were, I'm assuming you and I are close to the same age. If you said 46 years, you, you've been going to Martha's Vineyard definitely for 46 years. I'm about to turn, I turn 50 next month in August. Um I'm 51. Okay, so we are close in age. You you said you were an extra on set. What? How did that come about, and what exactly did you... Obviously, you were five, six when you were doing it? I was five, yes. And what exactly did they have you do? So the reason I ended up in the film was because uh, I had only moved there a year before. So I moved there in 1973, and I was a new resident. You know, we had been there. We moved there basically in the winter. And then my first summer was that summer of 74. And Jaws showed up. uh, Universal Studios came to Martha's Vineyard in about April when they... When they first started showing up, it was it was April when they came and all the trucks and the sharks and the large company arrived was in the beginning of May. Um, So I was uh, a kid at Oak Bluffs Elementary School and my drama teacher was Lee Piero. 
Lee Fierro plays Mrs. Kintner in Jaws. Okay. She's the one who slapped Chief Brody. And <laughs> oh, yeah. She was a huge influence on the kids of, of our community because she was, well, you know, it's it's funny. People say, you had a drama teacher at, in kindergarten? You know, who, who's taking drama in kindergarten? <laughs> it was like, well, they made it because she wanted to do it. And she was a, a, a classically trained actress who had been in New York City and moved to Martha's Vineyard as sort of a quiet getaway place, but had these skills as a really well-trained actress who really loved kids. And so her ability to connect with us... Uh, she was my favorite teacher. And again, she was my drama teacher. It's not like I was learning my ABCs with her, but she was such a sweet, warm person and really knew how to connect with kids. So one day during the production of Jaws, she informs us that she's been cast for a scene in the movie. She's going to be in the movie. And everybody knew about the movie because people were talking about it. And if you read the Vineyard Gazette, the newspaper, there were the ads, casting call, please come to this address. You know, you could make some money for the day to be an extra in Jaws uh, because they relied so much on Martha's Vineyard locals to be extras in the film. It right. was a hugely, you know, mm. there's vineyarders all over that movie, even in speaking roles, just like Lee. So Lee says, I'm going to be fil filming this scene. Why don't you come down? And, and she knew that I was going down for swimming lessons. I was required to go and take swimming lessons as a kid on the vineyard. And Lee said, why don't you come after your swimming lessons and come down to the beach at Big Bridge. Big Bridge is basically on State Beach, uh, halfway between Oak Bluffs and Edgartown. And uh, now it's called Jaws Bridge because it's the bridge where you see the 4th of July sequence. Okay. And Chief Brody runs down the rocks to save his son, Michael, and yep. he jumps over the side of the bridge. So that's Jaws Bridge. That's what people call it now. It's, it's, it's got another name formally, but that's what most people call it is Jaws Bridge. And if you go to the vineyard, there's a t-shirt you can get that says, I jumped off Jaws Bridge because you pass that bridge and it's just littered with teenagers all standing on the railing doing backflips into the water. And, um, and I've jumped a few times too. It's just a, one of those pastimes. And anybody who goes to the island, it's sort of like a, a, a rite of passage. If you're going to be a, you know, enjoy yourself on the island, you got to jump once, you know, just for the, the fun of it. So uh, she uh, was there and I walked down the, I here's the funny story that everybody you know, my girlfriend can't stand the fact that I, I talk about this. As a five-year-old, my parents encouraged me to hitchhike on Martha's Vineyard. So I would just <laughs> stick my thumb out and get my free ride to wherever I wanted to go, wearing a bathing suit with a <laughs> towel wrapped around my neck. And today, people would call the cops and, you know, youth services would get involved. But in 1974, it was no big deal. You know, we were I was raised by hippie parents, <laughs> and uh, it was the age of free love. And, hey, no one's going to hurt this cute little kid, you know, so let him do his thing. You know, put put a couple quarters in his pocket so if he gets to a payphone, he can get a ride back, you know. Um, so that's how I got down to Big Bridge. And it was a mob scene. I think I imagined imagined a couple people with a camera and because I didn't know anything they said she's shooting the movie so I pictured some people with a camera it was a huge huge production there were grip and electric trucks up on the side there was a, uh, a wardrobe vehicle there were lights everywhere these giant HMI or whatever they called them back then these huge lights that were like looked like they were as bright as the sun um, you know sound people all over the place I mean you know the actors I, I know that I saw Roy Scheider there I didn't know who he was at the time and then after I saw the movie, I was like, oh, I saw that guy. He was there on the beach because the scene I was there for was the death of Alex Kintner. So when Alex Kintner is attacked, I was in that water with the kids playing with the football. We're all okay. throwing the football around. Um, 
And so the water was cold. It was early May. It was not, you know, high season in summer. It was not, the water right now is, is a really nice, mild, you know, 65, 68 degrees. You know, when you're there in, in early May, it's in the 50s, Ooh. you know. And yeah. you know, <laughs> as, as a, as a five-year-old, I think I could tolerate it. Now I would be like, I'm not going to be in the movie. I'm out of the water. Sorry, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to the bar. Um, but the at the time, I could tolerate it. And also because... Because I was, you know, I was going to be in the film and all these other kids were in the water and I knew some of those kids. So I enjoyed myself until I realized that what they were going to do was throw this kid, Jeffrey Voorhees, who played Alex Kintner, up in the water. The divers were going to kind of throw him up, smash this, uh, this machine would basically cause a geyser of blood to squirt out of the water. And then he would oh, get wow. sucked down. And, you know, they did it a number of times. And the problem was, is that when that, that, that geyser of blood shoots out and you want to shoot that scene again, you got to wait for that blood to dissipate in the water. It's got to lose that red color in order to shoot it again. Right. So we spent five, six hours on that beach just getting that shot over and over uh, <laughs> so that they felt they had that cut. And, uh, you know, you couldn't, you had to wait. You had to wait 45 minutes to an hour. And so we just crawl up on the beach and wool, wool blankets and, you know, a hot chocolate and stuff like that to stay warm and uh it was it was uh, it was an experience it was definitely an experience but lee i was scared after a while i wasn't scared just because you know we were doing this film and there was a kid being you know violently jerked down in the water with a geyser of blood coming up out of the water um it was you know there were bullhorns and there was like quiet on the set everybody on your first positions you know all right everybody lock it up all this stuff that they say in film production and it felt really formal and really like you know and they were you know when you're burning film 35 millimeter film i mean i remember you know we work digitally now but per finished minute of film was about fifteen hundred dollars yeah. you know like so film expensive film is expensive to shoot and process and when you start rolling that camera, you better be getting stuff you're using right away. And so the urgency during those takes is really high. You know, it's like, and rolling and action. All right, background. You know, they were doing all the stuff to get the stuff in the lens that they need to have and not waste film. So it felt like a lot of hurry ups and then you would wait, you know. So I enjoyed it. I thought it was a really incredible experience. But most of Vineyard people thought it was going to be a dud because the film was taking so long. And when you <laughs> saw the shark, you saw the shark as being, it looked like a big dead shark. It didn't move. You saw it in its place. And, um, you know, and people were hearing about how the problems were really mounting. And this film was never going to be finished shooting. You know, the film started with a 55 day schedule and it didn't wrap until 160 days later. Oh, wow. So they they really didn't know what they were going to, you know, they didn't realize what they were getting into with that film. And so when the Vineyarders basically got together to see the premiere screening in uh, May of 75, and all of us were invited that had been participating in the film. We, you know, there was a movie theater and they're still there now, but it's not open. It's, it's derelict at the moment, but it's called the Island Theater and it's in Oak Bluffs on Circuit Avenue. And that theater is where I saw Jaws for the first time with other people who were in the film. And in large, it's like going to a home movie when you do that. Everybody is going to look for each other and like, oh, I know that that spot. And okay, that was all down at State Beach and that was in Edgartown Harbor and that was down in Menemsha. And people are recognizing 
recognizing each other and laughing at it. But the movie arrested our attention immediately from that first shocking Chrissy death scene. And <laughs> everybody was like, I think I was in my mind, I was expecting a monster movie like Godzilla. You know, right. like I pictured uh, something that was not terrifying, something that was kind of fascinating. And this like Godzilla marching through the streets of Tokyo. It's like there's no tension there. It's a little bit of like fascination, um, but not fear. And Jaws, I was not prepared as a five-year-old boy to experience Jaws. And most adults <laughs> on Martha's Vineyard were not prepared <laughs> to experience Jaws because they definitely expected a different thing to happen when they watched it. So we yeah. were all blown away. I think with all the problems they had with Bruce, the actual... Um mechanical shark and how it mm -hmm. wasn't working right for a lot of stuff and they didn't use it a lot i think that whole concept of less is more really helped sell the movie and really helped made uh bruce a very intimidating movie movie monster because you right. don't see him much um you know, you see the dorsal fin every now and then, but you don't see the actual attack. You see, you know, you, you see what's happening, but it's underneath, you know, like the guys are, but you don't see it until right near the end. Maybe the la you don't really see him to the last at least 45 minutes of the movie for sure. You know, where they're all, right. they're all battling him and it's um, a three and uh, it's Brody, it's Hooper. I can't remember the captain's name. Quint. 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 Captain Quint, yeah. Captain Quint. It's the three of them against the beast, so to speak. Right. Um, and I always I always like the fact that Quint, who's this experienced shark fisherman, gets scared by this shark. <laughs> that to, You know, it's always when you see the big bad guy who gets fearful of the new threat that you realize, oh, he's met his match. It's We right, should be right. scared as an audience because, the, the, the you know, Quint is a very arrogant you know confident you know shark hunter and the moment that he realizes he's in over his head is the moment the audience realizes oh these guys may not make it out of here quint is not up to this task and this shark is mm -hmm. a, a phenomenon of unexpected uh yeah. you know threat levels and it has has a you know and I think that's one thing that in, in Jaws that people, you know, uh, the Jaws, the shark has a, a, a vendetta against these people on this boat yeah. and, you know, is purposefully taunting them and, and attacking them at night and, and trying to toy with them and so forth. So I think it makes for really great storytelling. But then it, it created in people this idea that sharks have this sort of, um, you know, almost a, a personal attitude against uh, their aggressors. And that's just movie making storytelling. Right, um, yeah. But I agree that the, the, the fear quotient of uh, not seeing the shark and especially in the water, you don't see what's beneath the surface of the water, especially in the Atlantic. I know in Florida, the visibility is much higher. Uh, right. But, on you know, I mean, on the Atlantic Ocean here, you might see three feet in front of you in any direction from the surface. But then it just turns into that <laughs> on a good blue day. green. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so that, you know, it's like um, you can't control that. You don't know what's right next to you. And uh, I think that people feel here being unable to see what might right be right against them and they don't know it's there right and uh, i think that mm -hmm. that's universal i think that's why you know joe alves who you guys spoke to and, and maybe he talked about this is that everywhere he goes in the world and joe worked on obviously incredible films close encounters of the third kind escape from new york yeah. uh you know so many classic films that he was part of he was at disney for a long time and you know joe travels the world and talks about his experiences and everybody wants to talk about jaws that's yeah. 
around the world, that's the film that they identify <laughs> with the most. Because we all have oceans on our shores. And in many ways, we can all relate to that fear of the water, no matter what language we speak. Right. right. Now, I, I want right. to get back to, to the orca. Because um, in all honesty, I don't remember if we touched on, touched on it or not. What led you to wanting to... Um, I know you said you were going to do this documentary and have the back of the boat for filming, but what what led you to even do that project initially before the virus that shall remain nameless uh, came into our lives? Well, I um, like I said, I work in media and entertainment. I currently work at WGBH in Boston. It's the PBS station. Oh, and uh, nice. We work on Frontline and Nova and uh, oh. series that go through that station uh yeah it's great science series i mean it's really great programming and i what i love Mm -hmm. about my job is i'm a colorist and online editor so i'm the last stop in the editing process where i basically make it look its best you know take all the footage and kind of even it out and get the colors right and remove color casts i i will say as an audio engineer uh because i work at walt disney world i'm an audio engineer and i've been the Mm -hmm. i've been in the industry um well i've been with disney 22 years but i've been in the industry over 30 i will say because I know we're the unsung heroes. I will say thank you for for what you do. Oh, because we don't we don't get you. that we don't get that often. And, well, uh, it's, I, I think you you may get the same experience. A lot of people just sort of assume that it was really yep. captured great, and you know, good job for that audio mixer recording it in the field of doing a fantastic job. But I've, we've got audio mixers upstairs for me who, while I'm getting picture done. They're mixing in Pro Tools and getting their, you know, mix yep. done. And, you know, I'm constantly like, hey, how's it going up there, Chris? He's like, oh, my God, the noise level from the street in this interview is ridiculous. I got to use this Isotope <laughs> plug-in and, like, get rid of that. And, uh, and oh, it's too much noise, signal to I, noise here and I, all that stuff. Isotope has some of the greatest plugins. Um, I'm using Ozone Elements for mastering of the podcast mm-hmm. at, you know, when I do the final render. But, you know, for, for us, or at least for we begin, you know, my, the three podcasts that I run, uh, I don't know what Derek does. My editing is pretty simple because we keep it like the, as you can tell with our interview process, uh, it's sort of like the talk radio, you know, this conversational interview. No prepared questions. We're just going to you know, right. put it just out there it. and just rip it. So, you know, I like keeping that vibe that this is us taking a, a phone, setting it on the table and recording the conversation as if we were getting together after a day on the Orca or a day at a convention <laughs> or whatnot. Um, see, I right. worked in that plug. Um, and we're just sitting around at a bar or a restaurant and just chatting so i leave the the nuances of people the the ums the uhs because it makes it more organic um for us so i do very little of that cut but no i do try and pay attention to okay i know i got a fan in the background so i'm gonna have some of that bleed into this episode and i'll try and trim that out some um but i mean whereas i know other podcasters they'll go overkill they'll want their own mic they'll throw 11 plugins on it and then they'll put another eight plugins on on the output i'm like okay there's overkill <laughs> there, there's- yeah i mean there's there's certainly you know we like to think that there's a certain amount of authenticity and you know especially because we work on shows i mean there's shows that are beautifully shot you know yep. perfectly uh, recorded on the audio and those interviews obviously are ones that are completely controlled environments and then we do show, uh, shows about you know uh, stripe in the middle east and people are shooting on their cell phones running down streets away from you know barrel bombs yeah. and you that footage is going to look horrible but you're that's the footage you have and 
it also shouldn't be cleaned up because that was the reality of what was happening in that exactly. environment. So, yeah, um, you know, I'll it's get, funny. Right. It, it, it comes back to Jaws. I like to say uh, what's interesting is if you watch Jaws, and I think one of the really thing cool things that they did with that film is the amount of overlapping dialogue, the scenes with people where there's just all this, you know, so many filmmakers are always doing things where they're not stepping on each other's lines or it's very sporadically so that they have like punctuate a, a reason why somebody cuts somebody off. In Jaws, there's constantly the, uh, you know, the walla of all these people, like the town meeting, trying to talk about closing the beaches and all these things where it's this sort of cacophony of sound of, and you're hearing voices come out and say, you know, there's like all these people, it's like 24 hours, 24 hours is like three weeks, you know, these things that are just in the background and you're hearing people shouting. Um, and I love that technique. Right. I think there's something to be said for like, that's a natural feel of instead of just having people talking one at a time very hurriedly, you know? It's very organic and very realistic to what, even you know, a town meeting would have been in, a crisis would have been back then and even now what it would be like right. type thing so yeah well, we, we it still have very little patience to wait our turn to talk <laughs> um but you, you were asking about uh why why i even started the projects yeah. it was um uh, working at WGBH, I uh, I talked to a, a coworker of mine one day. I, I'd been there. I've been there six years now, but I think it was very early on. It was in my second year, and I mentioned to somebody. Somebody, you know, it was summertime, and and he said, "Oh yeah, we're gonna go see Jaws at the drive-in or something." There was a, an opportunity to go see it. I was like, "Oh cool, I was in that as a kid." And he was like, "What?" You were in John. <laughs> I said, I was like, I, listen, I'm not a, I'm not on the poster. Like I was, <laughs> I was a kid in a very quick scene. Um, so I'm not here tell, telling you like I had an acting career. That's far from the truth. I, I had no acting career. I basically, I had a, I had a career being cold in water. That was it. So the, but he said, you got to meet John. And I said, oh, who's John? He works at Frontline. I go, okay. And John is the second largest Jaws memorabilia collector in the United States. So oh, wow. John promptly hears from my friend uh, Dave, the guy that works in color over at uh, the Outpost. He was in Jaws. And next thing I know, there's a rap on my door, and John walks through my in my color suite with a section of the Orca 2's hull he bought. He literally has a piece of the Orca 2 that he bought huh. from Susan Murphy. And he also brings this book with him called Memories from Martha's Vineyard, which his friend, the number one Jaws memorabilia collector in the United <laughs> States, Jim Beller, has written. Uh -huh. And that was my gateway into a world of realizing like, OK, not only am I going to start thinking about Jaws again, but I'm meeting people who are very close to being some of the biggest fans in the world, not just in the country. And I started getting introduced to their, you know, I was like, Dave, you got to come down here. We're going to Providence, Rhode Island, and you're going to meet Jim. Jim has the biggest collection of Jaws stuff ever wow. and you walk in and he's got you know i mean i've got photos of jim's place and there's like a warehouse where the most of it is kept but the stuff in his house isn't a, a lot and um you know he's got like the signs from the film that says you know no um you know please be quiet jaws filming here he bought actual production signs oh, um cool. uh one of the friends, uh, there's a guy named Peter Spadetti that's in that circle of friends that I've gotten to know. He bought the actual fighting chair from the Orca, the chair that Robert Shaw sits in, and he got it at auction for over $30,000. So oh, wow. there oh, wow. are people who are dedicated to being close to this film in any way they can. And I had forgotten about it for decades. I basically had just gotten, you know, I started a family and was working professionally, and it was, you know, 
filmmaking to me was sort of as a kid, it was, it, you know, you went from Jaws to Star Wars to Raiders of the Lost Ark to Empire Strikes Back to like that was the heyday. You know, we yeah. had 80s films and it was movies were incredible when you were a little boy or a little girl. But definitely these adventure films and sci fi action films. Yeah. So oh, yeah. That was the period of the blockbuster when Jaws birthed that whole phenomenon. And we just had a great time going to the movies. You know, every every summer, the next release was incredible. Um, and I, I, I still mm-hmm. like blockbuster films. I don't think they have the same intimacy and the same characters. They're much more... I don't know. Marvel films to me, as much as I, I enjoy, I think there's great artistry and humor and comedy in them, but they're selling them to be seen all around the world. Their dialogue is very controlled so that they can be translated in multiple languages. There's some methodology right. I've learned about that makes them really easy to get them to see, be seen by audiences everywhere because Hollywood now sells to the entire world. They're not just thinking about, you know, Jaws was thought to be a, a movie for America and then it exploded across the planet. Um, and so that turned the whole industry into one where it realized, no, this isn't just a movie you can get from coast to coast. You can circle the globe with this movie and do really, really well with it. So um, talking about collectors, did you ever watch? I know I'm going left field here. Did you ever watch uh, the episode of Comic Book Men where uh, Brian, uh, where where they go, uh, I guess, to a Jaws museum or a Jaws collector who was getting rid of some stuff and he was trying i guess brian um is a big jaws fan and collector himself brian uh, is this kevin smith's show yes okay yes um i'm not familiar i I haven't seen it who's brian though brian brian's this tall taller guy with a long long hair and long beard gray beard oh interesting and he's the collector or he's just a big jaws fan he's both he's a big jaws he's a big jaws fan but he's also a collector i i think he was uh he has gotten stuff but never gotten stuff from the film and this was an opportunity for him to get something from the film oh i see um yeah i'm familiar with uh, it's funny i thought you were describing another guy i know named chris kiska who's out in california but um but yeah uh i hadn't seen that episode um but i'm familiar with that type of collector where people are you know very very they want the you know they really want the items that they can get um uh, peter has one other thing that peter has mm-hmm. is the actual um production sign the sign that was hung up in the Eggertown that said jaws production offices he bought mm-hmm. that sign at auction too it's an actual wood sign that they painted for the film to be hung over the doorway of the uh of uh, the offices where oh, wow. jaws was run from and uh incidentally it's interesting the production offices doubled as sets the uh medical examiner's office and chief Brody uh you know office when he's in the beginning typing shark attack on the uh, coroner's report that's all in the production office they use that same space basically to shoot those scenes mm. and then they wrap those scenes and then turn it back into places where people are on phones getting things ordered for the film and so forth oh so cool. um but uh sorry i keep tracking off to something else but the reason that i got into this project is because john and i and i met john and he basically got me rekindled with thinking about jaws again and talking to these guys i it occurred to me you know there's always these people who talk about should they remake jaws should they make a sequel to jaws um uh, i never i think that jaws is a great film and the sequels got progressively worse in quality the further out you went from the original so i didn't feel like the need to keep telling that story but I did find it exciting and interesting to think about what the crew of Jaws went through on the making of the film. And the more I learned about it, the more I realized not only did the crew go through hell, but the people of Martha's Vineyard who were hired by Universal Studios to assist 
in the film, whether you owned a boat and you were shuttling the actors and the crew around, or you were a guy like mm. Lynn Murphy, who was hired because he knew so much about seamanship and marine engineering. And Lynn basically made it so that that shark would be could be towed through the water. You know, an islander figured out how to make that shark work mm. in terms of the tow shark. You know, they they okay. they, they figured that out. Um, the guys who did the actual mechanical shark, Bob Maddie and Roy Arbogast and the others who were actual crew, they did get the shark working. But there was a tow shark that basically just needed to be dragged by the orca. And in order to do that, Lynn Murphy got his boat, the Valerie N, 300 feet out in front and would pull that shark by the orca. <laughs> and that's how they pulled that off because they actually had a gimbal shark, which was a platform, and the platform had this arm, and the arm held the shark, and they would pneumatically control that, but it couldn't really go far. The platform just stayed on the on the ocean bed, and that would it would move back and forth and could turn and could open and close its mouth. But by and large, there was no swimming really. And Lynn developed the techniques to actually make that shark swim that you need to have in the film, which is how do you get that shark to be take that long, you know, when they first see the shark when huh. Shider is like, you know, you're going to need a bigger boat. And then that moment right. where like the shark approaches the boat and they're ready to see it and it goes by and he's like, that's a 20 footer, 25, three tons of them. That moment is because Lynn Murphy figured out how to tow that shark. Lynn Murphy figured out a lot of things for that crew. And um, and Lynn was a really knowledgeable guy. So I thought that was all really interesting. People like that and others who were really critical to the making of Jaws and how they were, you know, it was the perfect collaboration between average people of a location who knew the island and Hollywood people coming in to do a film that basically the director, Spielberg, said, I just want it to be authentic. So let's go to Martha's Vineyard and shoot it there. It's That was the decision that caused all the problems in Jaws. I mean, I think he was right, but he it, he probably didn't really think about how difficult it was going to be. And Spielberg to this day says with all the films he's made, Jaws was the hardest production he's ever been on to this day. So you know that it was a hard experience. So I thought, why hasn't anybody, there's there's documentary after documentary, right? There's The Shark is Still Working, there's The True Hollywood Story, there's, uh, you know, Jaws, The there's all these documentaries that interview Carl Gottlieb and Joe Alves and Roy and others who are on the set, uh, you know, uh, Richard Dreyfuss has appeared in a bunch of those, he does that, The Shark is Still Working, The Shark is Still Working. <laughs> they told those stories a lot. Um, and uh, I think documentaries are great, but I think to make another documentary it's 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 beating a dead horse what if you made a docudrama you hired actors and you had a scripted six-month process of making jaws with actors portraying all these real people doing the impossible and struggling to get it done and trying to figure out when the heck are they going to leave this island are they ever going to finish making this movie and are they going to be lucky to walk away with a film period and i think that's the ultimate redemption story because jaws they didn't just walk away with a film they finished they walked away with a classic Hollywood blockbuster yeah. that 45 years later still resonates in our culture. And not a lot of films exactly. can say that, you know? And, and that's the incredible thing. It was a hard, hard movie to make. And to this day, everybody who was there says, at least it was worth it. At least what we suffered and went through, we got Jaws. We got a film that is incomparable. And to some people, it's the greatest film Hollywood ever made. Yeah, yeah. And that's exciting. I think that's really interesting. And I don't want to, you know, the other thing about making the monster uh, the series is we don't want to focus on Spielberg and the producers and you know like we've seen all their stories we don't 
we don't need to know, you know, a lot about them because that's been told over and over. It's really the people behind the camera by 30 feet doing all the work to get everything ready to be shot whose stories I want to tell. And uh, and when I talk to Joe Alves about it, it, what he's most excited is thanking those people for what they went through because they've never really gotten the comeuppance to get recognized for how much. I mean, Cal Accord was brought to Martha's Vineyard to work on the special effects crew. And you ask him, he says, I worked 16 hours a day without a day off for four months. And it was the time of my life. So he, wow. he, he worked every day. Um, he enjoyed himself, but he, he worked hard every day. He didn't get a lot of time off. And yet it was the best summer of his life. You know, it was it was a it, one of these experiences that were just, you know, life defining in many ways. So um, so I want to tell that story. I want to do it about people like Joe and Cal and, and Roy Arbogast and, and Lynn Murphy and, and Lee Piero and all these people and myself. I'll be a character in there, too, sort of discovering the world of Jaws as a little boy. So um, I think it's going to be really cool. But, you know, the return to the Orca is sort of the first step. And I'm really excited about this project for entirely different reasons, you know, which we've talked about. I think it's to me, it's a real connection to, you know, taking the best thing about the film and making it the best thing about being a person from Martha's Vineyard and giving people something to be attracted to that can really help a lot of things happen in a positive way. Very cool. Very cool. I, I think you're, you're doing some really cool stuff there. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing that that docudrama um, at some point. <clears throat> Thank and you. I'll, well, we're counting on a very popular audience to justify why we're going to spend all this money to make it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know if we ever go, oh, yeah. I know if we ever get up back up into that area, uh, which eventually I would love to take my daughter up there you know one so she could see you know all the history involving american history with the revolution and whatnot um but i will also be telling a, a good friend of mine who they frequent martha's vineyard a lot uh and they they live in troy new york uh around albany but they they got they frequent the vineyard a lot i was like you guys have got to go check out the orco three once it's up i mean i i will i will be pushing this to all my friends who i know live in that area it's like you got to go check this out you want a cool experience mm. when this is up you gotta go <laughs> um so has there been anything i know this is going to be a very broad question has there been anything involving the orca three or your projects that we haven't touched on that that you want to get out there i know we've covered well, a lot we We've covered a lot. I guess the only thing to really, I mean, one of the things that because of the experience, what I've been doing for the past two years on making the monster, one thing that has really been a critical component to me that I think lends a great deal of credibility to the Orca 3's construction is that it's going to be made by the same people who made the original. So Joe Alves is going to be the principal art director on it. He's going to be safely tucked away in his home in, in California, but he's huh. going to be on Zoom calls with us. He's going to get video of the oh, boat, cool. plans, all that stuff. And huh. Chris Crawford is going to be leading up the actual crew on the boat rights and the welders and everybody. Chris was hired by Joe in 74 to create the original Orca. So we have the two guys in the world who made the original Orca working on the Orca 3. And to me, that's great. Uh, I, yeah, the DNA, awesome. the, the, the parents of the original Orca are going to birth the Orca 3. And I could not be more humbled and excited about being a part of that and, and, and watching them reunite after 46 years to create another boat that they like they did back then. Um, and, uh, and even uh, uh, Chris has uh, 
talking to another person who worked on the original Orca, who's going to come up from the Caribbean and jump on our project because he did the original Orca and he wants to be back on this project. Oh, so the cool. hands of oh, the original wow. boat makers are going to be on the hands of this boat. And um, to me, that's that's the right way to honor the original boat is give it to the people who made the first one mm. and make the next. That's awesome. Wow. You are definitely going to have to do um, something big in five years for Jaws 50th with the Orca or oh, Orca yeah. 3. Well, there's um, there's something called Jaws Fest. They've only had it twice. They had it in 2005 and then 2012. And the one in 2005, they invited all the actors. Everybody was connected to the film. Um, Joe Alves went out to Martha's Vineyard and, you know, they did panel discussions about what it was like to work on the film. Um, Greg Nicotero, like I said, who was a huge fan of the, of the movie, came out and was part of the panel discussions as well because Jaws pretty much gave Greg his reason for being in the special effects industry. You know, he saw Jaws mm-hmm. and he says, how did you make that shark that to him was the coolest thing like how did you make that shark how does he that where do you even begin right and so greg is now greg knb effects makes all the walking dead zombies uh you look at the credits of knb effects right. and they do tons of practical effects for films for television shows and really greg started with jaws that's where his fascination with practical effects began and to this day you know if you could uh-huh. talk to people he works with who say greg has literally gigabytes of photos alone <laughs> about the making of jaws oh, wow. I mean, gigabytes of photos you know i mean if you have gigabytes of jpegs you have a lot of jpeg images Mm. um so um he remains a steadfast uh lover of the film and um but yeah i think that in five years and we had a 45th anniversary planned on the vineyard but covid waylaid that right and we have a there was a planned exhibit at the martha's vineyard museum joe alves and greg nicotero were going to fly out to the vineyard this july and uh be part of a book called on designing jaws and he was going to have a book signing and, and uh, the museum was going to have a whole exhibit dedicated to it. But I would love, you know, maybe the orca comes out of the water if it's still around uh, and is part of the museum exhibit for the 50th. And people can go up to it and touch it and walk aboard it and experience it. Or maybe it stays in the water and we basically shuttle people down from uh, the, the museum to the, the, the dock and let them take a ride. I mean, I'm open to a lot of different ways to use it. But I think that it's it again, I want people to enjoy this boat. I don't want it to be a private collection you know somebody says hey spielberg right. might want to buy it from you i'm like i don't think i want to give it to steven spielberg i, I think it belongs on martha's vineyard <laughs> and it belongs to the people who right. enjoy it the most you know the, the one that was in universal studios that dry rotted out and finally was about to sink before they took it apart and burned it up um it just sat there you know it sat there as a little oh, yeah. on the back lot um and uh now that, that was like, the one in california right yeah or yeah. are we so talking one the one in here in florida no the one in california was the real orca they actually put the orca back on that backlot lake and it was part of that mm. tram tour when you like went through you know you can go through where back to the future is shot and you take the ride through where you know war of the worlds the plane scene crashes yep. and eventually you come to amity island and you right. see bruce jumps out of the water next to you and sprays you with water well in the back mm. of that lake there used to be the orca and uh and people have photos and so forth of them standing on the orca the real orca that's basically there and um it was just rotting away mm. and uh it it, it, it rotted to the point where it was sinking in the lake and they just they said okay chop it up 
it's all done. Oh. No, no more Orca. And, oh. uh, you mm. know, people are like, would you do that to the Millennium Falcon? Would you, you know, would you do that <laughs> to like some of the most classic, you know, vehicles and films? Is it really going to just sort of chop this thing up? And, and, uh, and it, there's an interview with Steven Spielberg in Entertainment Weekly in which he, he tells the story of how when he was done with Jaws, he would go to the Orca. He would just drive his golf cart up there and sit on the Orca and shake to deal with his trauma of working on Jaws. It was wow. his private kind of like little wow. like therapy area. Um, and, uh, uh. and so and he was very unhappy when they chopped it up because he lost sort of like that center of where he would work through all of his, his trauma oh, on working on Jaws. Right. And he wants it back. He wants another oh. one on that lake. So I don't, uh, you know, I, I, I don't begrudge the man for wanting the orca back, but I think the people of Martha's Vineyard and, and others and the kids and the researchers, like they need it more, you know, it, right. it really belongs on the island and, and it right. really, with it coming up on the 50th anniversary, let's have it back, but let's have it appreciated in, in a way that most people can appreciate it. Right. Mm. Well, I can't speak for Derek, but I'm sure he's going to agree with me. We would love to be a part of helping with the 50th anniversary and helping you with the orca in mm. in five years when this comes up thanks um no I, I i love the support and you know that's the one exciting thing about this project is i found such enthusiasm out of people to be involved um and it's been really humbling and very you know i feel like i'm part of a community um that is so you know that has a great deal of adoration and devotion to this uh to this uh this film and and the love for it um you know it's really sweet to see how people can get so passionate about something that is so old you know 45 years old and, and and yet we're still here as Jaws fans loving it and and, yeah. and dreaming you know there's the amount of people who were like when can I come with a can of Narragansett and crush it on the back of the Orca 3 you know I want to be on that boat and you know I want to I want to do that thing that Quint does and I want to I want to sail out of Menemsha Harbor into the sunset like the original Orca did um, all these things that are very possible um, but to them it's nobody's done it I mean there are other people I think that have tried to make an Orca there's even a guy in Florida who tried to make an orca but if you don't have it on the vineyard you're not it's not really in the right place to enjoy it in my right, mind right, you know? right i mean it's great to, it would yep. be great to be on the boat wherever it is but the perfect place on earth to have the orca is in amity martha's vineyard exactly oh yeah exactly uh derek you got any final questions um no i, I mean, we, we've covered no, I a lot covered everything <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, I we have covered a lot. Every question I had has been answered, I believe. Great. Well, I agree. Um, I, I, I'd like to be as thorough as possible. Um, and I think the only thing I want to make sure people know is this project is being crowdfunded. Um, we are on Indiegogo right now. We've been live since Saturday. Um, oh, excellent. We have, some, we have some fantastic perks. We have an incredible logo uh, designed by uh, Eric Hollander, who was the director of The Shark is Still Working. Um, I can actually, we just picked this up today. I'll show it to our viewers. The poster for Return of the Orca is this new poster here on the wall. Um, fantastic. Oh, logo. wow. Um, and so um, we're offering t-shirts. We're offering uh, uh, the poster. We're offering, we're even going to make a, a behind-the-scenes documentary about the making of the Orca 3, that, and that'll be on Blu-ray. That was a question I was going to ask. Are you documenting making this? Because oh, this yeah. would be yeah. fascinating as well. Yes. And because yes. I work in media, I have plenty of people that I can count on to help me with the production of the, the documentary. Oh, and so cool. if you want to get if you want to get the Blu-ray of the making of the Orca 3, which we'll probably just call Return of the Orca, um, we will be having that. That's also a perk. But everybody can be a part of making this boat come back to life. 
And that's what I love about it. It can be a, a community effort. And we have packages all the way up to, you know, if you want to donate a significant amount of money, you can get your name on a plaque inside the cabin of the Orca 3 and be a permanent fixture on that boat. Um, and oh, wow. uh, so, so we're really excited to know that it's not, you know, there's private investors and there's plenty of opportunities right. to find people who are corporate sponsorship. Um, and I thought we could do that. But I, I, again, the community aspect of this project, I love the idea that we can have people feel like they helped make this boat with us and uh, you know if if you give ten dollars if you give twenty dollars if you spend 60 for the blu-ray um, you know, you're donating to something that we're going to create for these kids and for the research and not just for Jaws fans and right. to have a cool boat, but it's going to go towards something that actually is going to hopefully have an impact on people's lives in a, in a real positive and profound way. So uh, go on over to returntotheorca.com. You'll get right to the crowdfunding site. You can okay. see all of our social media. Um, we're doing a real great job. We're working with the Daily Jaws, uh, one of the biggest online Jaws mm-hmm. groups there is. Um, and uh, our group, Making the Monster, we actually this spring... We created a, a Jaws uh, interactive location guide. We call it the Ultimate Jaws Location Guide. It's a 3D Google Earth map of all the locations of Jaws. Oh, very and cool. Oh, wow. You can go to Martha's Vineyard and basically use your phone and navigate and see photos of what the actual that spot looked like during the making of the film. So, oh. um and that's a free gift. We didn't charge that. Cool. We just wanted to create that. Um, but it's uh, it's the most comprehensive online location guide for Jaws ever made. And oh, we just cool. wanted to get it out there. So. Well, I was going to ask, where can we find you online? But you've given us all that. You said go to returntotheorca.com. Yes. Yeah. And everything's right there. That's your source to find everything out. The, the Indiegogo, the Twitter, the Facebook, the whatever. It's all right there at return returntotheorca.com. Thank you for joining us. It was a blast. Stay in touch because yeah. when, when things progress, we Definitely. want you to come back with updates and and, yes. and come back with that announcement in five years that we're coming up to be a part of the festivities. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just going to be happy to have this boat in the water and be able to show everybody what it looks like and, 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 and start offering people an opportunity to come. So. You guys are invited. Come on down. Bring some Narragansett beers. We'll uh, we'll get out there and crush some cans. You got it. <laughs> awesome. Well, well, thank you again. Um, obviously, this show has left me asking this question. Hopefully, it's left you asking this question. And that question is... Want to know more? <laughs> So, um, the bad crowd you've been hanging out with is a science fiction club? This has been a Weeby Geeks production. Ah!